coach, broadcaster, and video game impresario, John Madden. I get every game from every angle uh, every week. Why do you want to do that? Just because uh, just you're crazy? <laughs> None other than Deion Sanders Prime. I have three to four suits with me, and I'm having a problem to choose between the cream, which is a cusser. What I mean by cusser, Rich, when you see me, you're going to use profanity. That's how clean this suit is. <laughs> My official movie reviewer, Jim Moore. She's a fox. If there's a fox in the movies right now, Myla Kunis is it. I don't download many podcasts, but when I do, I prefer the Rich Eisen Podcast. Here's your host, Rich Eisen. Welcome to another edition of the Rich Eisen Podcast here on NFL.com and iTunes, and uh, I will call this a special edition of the oh, podcast. Good. I will do that. <laughs> I will do that because I've uh, I've never done one just special with a couple. I've never done one special to just talk about a book, but there's a first time for everything, and I couldn't be more honored to have on the podcast uh, Brenda Warner, Thank author. You. Yes. Let's call you best-selling author. Okay, let's, let's do, do it. it. And her like husband, uh, future Hall of Famer, I can say those sorts uh, of things, yeah. Kurt Warner. I'll let you say it. Please do. I'll let you say yeah, it. No, by the way, nothing <clears throat> ticks off an athlete more than calling them a future Hall of Famer when they haven't actually made it yet. You don't right. have to answer. Don't yeah. have to answer, Kurt. I think it's one of those things where I'm not a lock. I think for some guys, they're locks. And nah. so you say future Hall of Famer, and those guys are like, okay, I can handle that. You took the Rams lock, to the but... Super Bowl <laughs> and then the Arizona Cardinals to the Super Bowl. That, right. Again, you don't have to say any of these okay. things. All you have to know is that in the eight years that I've done this on NFL Network, I called Rod Woodson a future Hall of Famer, right? Yeah, and I it called worked. Marshall, okay. Dion. I know it when I see it. That's, that magic all I'm touch. Saying. Okay. That's all I'm saying. Uh, and and this is a an excellent, obvious um, memoir of yours, Brenda, about that you were writing a book uh, called "One Call Away: A Memoir Answering Life's Challenges with Unshakable." faith that you can get on amazon.com and in bookstores near you right now and um i'd love to talk about uh why why this book i guess that's probably the first question you always get when you're promoting this book. it is but you know i'm only 44 so a lot of people wonder how you write a memoir at 44 years old but i've lived a lot of life in 44 years and when i was dealing with my seven children and they are always like why are you like this I thought, you know what, I want you to know why I am the way I am. And so I started having that urge to to do this memoir and to write down my story, to give them an idea of why um, I believe what I believe. And then it just kind of grew from that because as I share my testimony with people, there's there's things in my life that they relate to, much more than they relate to Super Bowl MVP, you know, our, our money or our fame now. They relate to... You know, when I was on food stamps, standing in line for WIC and Section 8 housing, or when I got a call that my parents had been killed in a tornado, and and when my son was injured, those are real-life things. Those are the tough days, and they, they are drawn to them because either you've been through stuff or you're going to go through stuff. So it was it, that was the reason to do it, but um, it really turned out to be something that I'm proud of because it, it shares my life with, with people, and hopefully they'll be encouraged from it. And the amazing thing, Rich, is that a lot of the book or, you know, a lot of the stuff she talked about was pre-me, before I knew her. Uh, and so I got to know a lot about her. And then you talk about our kids. I mean, you know, we've got a number of our kids that never met their grandparents. And, and you know, their brother, Zach, uh, who was Brenda's from a previous marriage, 
understand that he's got disabilities, but they don't understand the whole story. They weren't around, you know, when it all happened. And so that's one of the neat things is I was reading the, you know, the story and going, ah, I'm learning stuff about my wife. I know the kids, when they eventually get to that point where they can read it, they're going to find out a lot about her that, that they've never heard before either. And so that's part of the, the fun part of, of seeing her put together her story is that maybe you've heard about some of the things since I made it to the NFL and what we've done together, but this is all the pre stuff, which uh, which really shaped her, and it's cool for me to be able to read it. So you dog eared like page ninety eight or something like that, and you're like, <laughs> "Honey, yeah. what's up with page ninety eight? There, there were I mean, some things, yeah, that I read through, and it was stuff. like, "Wow, <laughs> wow, really? I didn't know all that stuff. Really? So, all right, I knew some of it, but yeah, some of it takes you back. You're like, "Wow, you know, maybe maybe you you start to funny funny you you start to understand." her a little bit better you know, mm-hmm. like she said where it's like why well, you know she tells me she's a marine i don't know i never saw her when she was a marine but he doesn't think i'd take an order from a man so he would like <laughs> me to prove that I've i was never in the marine seen, corps i've never seen that? that so but some of it starts to line up when, when you start to, to read the background why the marines brenda tell that story how you got involved with the well marines. my dad was a former marine and he would tell me stories about his unit and the camaraderie and i was just drawn to it from a young girl, I would I would ask him to tell me the stories again. And I remember my mom rolling her eyes like, stop it, Larry, stop it, because she could tell that I was drawn to it. Well, then my sister's a year older, and she went to college, and I heard the fighting about money, you know, just trying to struggle to pay for my sister to be able to go to college. And I thought, I don't want that. I don't want to do that to my parents. And I, I just felt called to, to be a United States Marine. I wouldn't be a burden to my parents, and I'd get to do something that was such a challenge and and, and honor. So I signed up between my junior and senior year of high school. That's how much I knew that I wanted. And my parents had to co-sign because I was so young. And then I graduated from high school. And two weeks later, I'm standing on those yellow footprints at Paris Island, South Carolina. No kidding. Yeah. I loved it. You I loved abs- it. <laughs> absolutely loved it. And I miss it. Some days I miss it so much because of that camaraderie. I mean, you would meet a Marine and you would know deep in your heart that they would die for you and you would die for them and that you would, you know, you have this this bond that I miss. I miss that kind of friendship, that kind of um, camaraderie that you only experience when, when you go through something like that and, and you're stationed in Okinawa, Japan with... I only know Marines, and so you get closer and closer, and and I miss that discipline. I miss I miss that discipline um, in the community, in in my life that I live, because you could trust that they were going to be disciplined to do their thing, so you could trust them. And I get out of the Marine Corps, and you know, then I become a registered nurse, and people call in. I don't feel like coming to work today, and I'm thinking, what? You just don't do that. Drop in the Marine down Corps. and give me twenty. Yeah, you just don't <laughs> yeah. do that, and right. also just my kids. I. I think that the Marine Corps shaped that discipline that I want them to understand that it's important in your character for people to be able to trust you. And that goes along with discipline, that you are who you say you are and you'll be where you say you'll be. Um, I really miss it. And, you know, the full circle, little did I know when I got out and, and had a hardship discharge to take care of my son, that, you know, I'd marry a man that then gets asked to, to meet the troops coming back um, from the war and I get to meet them just because I'm married to him and I get to go to Walter Reed and, and we get to experience these Marines. I mean, who, who would have known? Right. I love it. Love it. It's all part of the Warner magic carpet ride story. <laughs> exactly. How did you guys meet? Cause always, it's been written about, yes. it's been yeah. discussed. There's, there's not <laughs> there's re- emails out there that, that aren't yeah. fully true. Yeah. So yes. I'd Weird. love to know how to, who, who wants to handle it? Brandon, well, how, did, how did you guys meet? We honestly met. Um, I was, I was, 
going to school to be a nurse, living in my parents' basement, divorced with two kids, and my mom said, you need to get out and meet people. Now I come from- Now this is post-Okinawa. This this is is post, post, yep. How long were you there? Let let me start with that. Okinawa for a year. I was stationed there a year, and then New Orleans for two years, and then Virginia Beach for a year, and then that's when Zach was injured. So then I got out on a hardship discharge mm-hmm. to take care of him. He was injured at four months four of Four months old, yeah. yeah. And so then I became pregnant again, and I was eight months pregnant when my husband then um, rolled over and said he was attracted to another woman. So I moved back in with mom and dad to just start over and start on my own. You were eight months pregnant? Yeah. And with a with a four month old who was injured yeah, because yeah. well he would have been about two then yeah right, my okay. my first husband accidentally dropped him and picking him up out of the bathtub so you know there were a lot of issues there that um, you know I was being a nurse I was being a psychiatrist I was being a therapist I was trying to to balance it all and I was only twenty one when I had Zach and so a lot of things happened you know at a very young age that um, I wasn't prepared for. And so basically, um, starting over again with mom and dad and, and she said, get out and meet people. And I did not want to trust another man for anything, you know? So I asked God to give me somebody ugly. Um, so another woman wouldn't <laughs> want him. And, uh, Check. <laughs> and I asked for someone that had a job cause I was tired of being on food stamps and, and I asked for someone faithful and I knew that God couldn't come up with that man. Cause I just had that kind of attitude that baggage on me. And I went to country line dancing. It was cool back then in 1992 when people were doing it. She's not supposed to share yeah. about country, <laughs> country line, line dancing, dancing. And, and in walks. Where is this? In? Cedar Falls, Iowa. Cedar Falls, where he Iowa. was going to college. And and that's where you're. That's where I'm from. That's born and raised. Okay. Yes. So and, I moved back to. And you were yeah. pregnant at the time. No, I had had two oh, kids so now. You had two kids. Yep. Now. I'd had two kids. I'm divorced um, with two kids, and I'm 25 years old. And that's exactly what I told him that night after meeting him. And, you know, I thought I don't play games. You know, deal with this. He he tried to kiss me at two o'clock in the morning when the bar closed, and and I said I'm divorced with Another two thing, kids. I don't remember that. You don't remember that <laughs> one <Her> detail. Yeah. <laughs> so after the 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 line dance, line dancing, and we danced all night long. And what is your recollection of that that night? Girl? Well, it was similar to that, but uh, you know, it was one of those things where I didn't like country music, but I had uh, a roommate that was a, a farm boy, and he drugged me out to this country bar, and. You know, so we were going for a while and I, you know, recognized her across the room probably weeks before that. And we never really hooked up at any point in time. And there's this, this dance, this dance called the barn dance where you actually have two big circles, one of guys, one of girls, and you switch partners throughout the dance. And ironically enough, the dance ended and we were partners and it was perfect opportunity to say, Hey, you want to keep dancing? And that was when, uh, you know, we danced the rest of the night. She told me that and, um, you know, said goodbye to her. And I, I think it was one of those situations like, wow, I, I didn't expect that. You know, it's nice to meet her, but I didn't expect divorced mother of two. But, you know, it was one of those situations where you kind of got to think about where you're at and what you're looking for in life and whether you're willing to, to take on what seems to be a challenge like that. And uh, at that point in time, I thought, what the heck? You know, the girls I'm hanging out with are college girls that just want to go out and party or talk about their next class. There was so much more to her than that, that I, I was just interested. And I thought, I, you know, I got to check this out. I got to figure out, you know, if, you know, there's more there that, that, you know, really draws me in. And so, uh, decided to pursue it. So it, it, it's true that the line that that's been reported that you basically said, you know, it's been nice knowing you, I've got, 
I'm yeah. divorced with two kids, yeah. Yeah. one of whom is... Uh, I didn't share the special needs at that point. Okay. Yep. I just said, listen, I'm 25, divorced with two kids, so if I never you see you again, that's fine with me. And you did say that. I did say that. And what was your reaction to that? I, I don't think I said anything. <laughs> I think, I, think <laughs> I, was in, I think I was in complete shock. Like, right. Okay. Yeah. Okay. All right. All it right. was nice dancing with you. And like I said, I... I don't even know if I knew at the time where it was going to go from there. So what was the second contact, though? Well, um, then the next morning, um, I'm at my parents' house. I'm living there. And um, my baby, um, I just finished feeding my baby. Zach's walking around. My parents aren't there right then. And someone knocks on the door. And I opened it. And there he was standing there. And he said, I want to meet your kids. And I thought out. he did. And I thought I said, no, because I don't know anything about you and that'd be inappropriate. But instead I said, come on in. And Zachary took his hand um, because Zachary being blind can can hear so much better. And he heard a man's voice. So he comes to the door, takes takes Kurt's hand, calls him Mark, because that was the guy I was really dating before Kurt. <laughs> Uh-oh. Yeah. But I, I thought, <laughs> I'm not going to go into that. And yeah. Takes, takes Kurt around the house while I'm sitting there thinking, what have I done? Because I only know his name is Kurt. And I've let him into my home. You didn't know. Don't know anything. Didn't know about Warner. It. Didn't, no, you didn't just know remember anything. his Kurt. Well, I wasn't. You know, wasn't Kurt like you were still I Warner. Was, well, yeah, but I mean, I wasn't playing <laughs> yeah. in college. I Back was. Up. I was on the bench at that point in time. So it was like there was no way she was going to know. You know me. No, I, what I meant. No, no, I meant no. not as a player. Just like no, remember, just, his, my just, name just is as Kurt. a guy with a last right. name is yeah. all I'm referring <laughs> yeah. to. I mean, so I hope my daughters don't do what I did. But yeah, I let him in. I mean, I use this as a learning experience. Yeah, that's why you wrote the book. Exactly. Don't do this. So, and he started playing with Zachary, wrestling around, and then that's when I realized I didn't tell him about Zach's brain damage and his blindness. And then I realized he doesn't care. He was he was just wrestling Zach and loving on him, and, and there was this love affair already. And it was beautiful, and he fell in love with the kids way before he fell in love with me, way before. He admits it. Was it was much easier. <laughs> it still is. <laughs> much easier. Wow. Yeah. I mean, that's... It's a movie. That... Your whole life is a movie. This is unbelievable, <laughs> the, the, the fact that two of you are together. But I, I want to keep walking through this thing. So, Kurt, I mean, in, in all honesty, though, I yeah. mean, most guys hear this. When you meet, meet a, a lovely lady with right. kids, I mean, the word baggage clearly comes to no mind. Let's be, right? Sure. And, 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 and his, uh, her oldest is disabled. Right. You didn't at one point think, you know, what am I getting myself into here? Well, like I said, I, I think when she originally told me that, you know, it was that shock. Like, wow, I never expected this. this isn't what I was looking for. But like I said, there, there was something about her that intrigued me that was different than anybody else I'd been around. And I thought, well, I've got to at least pursue it. You know, there was something that, you know, attracted me to her. You know, like I said, weeks before we actually even met, then when we met and we talked that night, you know, just something about her that was different. And I thought, yeah, maybe not how I wrote the script, but you know, let's at least see. And I thought the first thing to, to figure out was if I'm going to be with her, I got to figure out whether I can handle being around two kids, whether I can function in that environment and whether that's something that I'm open to or not. And so that was, you know, that was really the motivation to say, okay. I understand a little bit about who she is, but now let's let's figure out the bigger picture. And um, you know, and I always loved kids and enjoyed being around kids, uh, but obviously but never you were had a kid. any. He any was twenty one. You're twenty one. Didn't have any yeah. that were my own or, or ever been in that situation. But that's what I came to realize very quickly after going over there was that I think oftentimes when you use the word baggage, that you look at it and say, okay, you're getting this, but then 
this has to come along too. You right. know, you can't get this without bringing that. And I quickly realized that, man, it, what a blessing that I was in a situation that if I did pursue it and it did go somewhere that I was gaining three amazing blessings. And, you know, to spend time with the kids, like she said, you know, I got so attached to them and, and had so much fun because they were at a young age and, you know, they were able to teach me stuff. And Zach, I mean, Zach, amazing inspiration. You know, at that time he was three and a half years old um, and, and now he's 22 and, and he's thriving. But, you know, just watching him and falling in love with the kids first, like she said, it was like, yeah, everybody looks at this like this would be a bad thing to have to, you know, step into something that's already made. But to me, I just saw it and said, man, this is this is three blessings instead of one. I've got to pursue this and see where it goes. What a dream. Oh, my goodness. You, could I, you, I mean, how long did it take you to realize what, what had hit you right here? Well, we would – the trouble was, honestly, is that he didn't believe what I believed. He didn't have that faith that I had. And once you've gone through something like Zach's injury – um, where I wanted someone at my side believing what I believed and, and praying the way I pray and, and just having that faith. So I was stubborn that I was not going to get into a serious relationship with somebody that didn't believe what I believed. So Being spiritually, spiritually, religiously. Yes. And, okay. you know, I guess that our dates would end up where we'd either make out or we'd argue about religion. Those were our dates. <laughs> I was always going for the makeup. Yeah, I know. I That's mean, what I was shooting for. I would say there's got to be a gray area somewhere, but, you uh, would think? but those, are, those would be those, extremes. Yes, I would say. that's what we do. That's how we do it. But um, So he didn't believe what I believed, and I would say, why do you believe what you believe? And he would start thinking about it and wonder, well, do I believe it because somebody told me it? Or I was taught that in school. I was taught that in Sunday school. And, you know, we were dating and dating, and I would think, you know, what am I going to do? Because he's so good. I mean, he's such a good man that he's as close to what I wanted as possible, but he just didn't have that connection yet. And then I got another call. And in April 14th, 1996, um, my sister called to say that my parents were killed. Unbelievable. And seven people were killed in that tornado in Mountain View, Arkansas. And my parents happened to be two of them. Now that's when your world's rocked, because that's death. It's, you know, Zachary had kept living. He was a miracle every day that he woke up. And so I was dealing with that. And then boom, all of a sudden, both of my parents were killed. It was, it would have taken me out, but I had that faith that I just kept drawing to. And when everybody was giving me this, this, you know, how they try and comfort you, you know, at least they went together. And I think at least they went together. I I want a mom, I want a dad, or God called him up, and that would make me mad because I'd think, what does God want him up there for? You know, just dealing with the way you deal with grief. Everybody does it differently, and I didn't want to hear the comforting words. And there was one person that didn't believe all that. He just watched me. He just listened to me. He let me say what I was feeling, and, and I was angry, and then I was sad, and he just watched, and he realized that I had a relationship with my God, not a religion, and he wanted it. So that's kind of how then he became um, believing what I believe. And then I thought, all right. And he proposed months later, and we were married a year later. So again, um, I mean, I'm, I'm sort of just getting to know you on a personal level with you having just joined NFL Network, Kurt. I would have definitely thought you came into this relationship with a similar sense of religion right. as Brenda that the two of you, that you grew up in the same way, that you had already been um, a pious individual mm -hmm. similar to her right from the get-go. Mm -hmm. uh, this is this is news to me. Well, I grew up 
in the church. So I actually grew up going to a Catholic school. So I grew up in the church. I was surrounded by it, you know, knew the Bible stories, knew all of that stuff. But as much as I had that, it was one of those things where I was still living for me. You know, for for me, God was, you know, way out there. And if I ever needed him, you know, I could call on him, you know, if I wanted to get the date with the cheerleader or if I wanted to throw the touchdown pass <laughs> in the big game, you know, like most of us that, okay, I'm going to pray for this just because this is what I want. And it wasn't until much later when she's talking about when this relationship developed where I understood that instead of God being there for me, it was more me being there for him. And that's, I think, the Kurt Warner that everybody now knows. You know, when you hear me on the Super Bowl podium and, and you know, thanking God for, for giving me the opportunity and, you know, using me in the way that he did, that's what people have, you know, put synonymous with who Kurt Warner is. And that developed way later in life that, you know, my goal to play in the NFL for 25 years of my life was, you know, to, to be on the big screen and to make the money and to have, you know, people wearing my jersey with my name on it, you know, so I could have that self-satisfaction. When I finally got here, it was completely different, that it was more about, hey, I'm here because God placed me here. And now what can I use this platform for? And that's where, you know, it changed right before, actually right before I got into the NFL. Mm -hmm. I was 26, um, you know, when I, when I changed my life and changed that direction of my life. And then it was 27 when I actually got my first opportunity with the Rams. Which you might not know, in arena football, um, before all of this, he was mic'd one time, and he cursed so much that they had to never mic him again. Is this is right? the Kurt Warner that <laughs> Grandma I met. heard it. Grandma was, sent soap. They sent soap to Kurt <laughs> and told him to clean it up. Your mother sent the soap to clean it up. Yeah, Grandma That's and Mom the Kurt Warner I heard me on was, TV. And... You were unmicable in the, in the arena league. Is that a true <laughs> yeah, story? Yeah, that is a true story. It is true. Yes, and... and to be honest, though, <laughs> I, I wasn't a big time, you know, swearing guy. Only but on the field. But when I got into the locker room, and uh, I'm sure you can attest to being in numerous locker rooms. When I got in the locker room, I was like everybody else. It just kind of takes over, and you say this and say that, and and that would carry over to the field. And yeah, I was mic'd up, and I remember getting a call from my mom that my grandmother had heard me on TV, and uh, she'd Clean appreciate it, it if I if I cleaned it up. <laughs> yeah. 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 No kidding. <laughs> and look at the man we have before I know, us. Preacher here. man now. Uh, no, but, well, yeah. in that respect, with preacher man too, because mm -hmm. obviously, when you're in a locker room, you've got all sorts of personalities and all right. sorts of uh, stories that could be swapped and <laughs> yes, told. As you know, you. As, as you I know, know very of course, well. I, I don't want to know. But no, but in all, but in all seriousness, though, I mean, you as a leader of a team, obviously, you. I imagine you don't want to be seen by your teammates as you're judging them, right? Oh, sure. You know what I mean? So how do you, how do you, plus I've sort of, I guess, trying to figure this out as we get as you started in our, yeah. in our meetings. Yeah. <laughs> right? How do you, how do you, I guess, keep all that in, yeah. in order? Well, the thing is, is that I think the people that are around me know that, that I never judge them. And I think part of this is, as we just talked about, you hear about me. I, I was a, a project. I was a process that to get to this point, you know, I, I made dumb mistakes. Uh, if you read the book, you'll read about a couple of them. Uh, but I made dumb mistakes too. And so my whole goal when I was around different individuals was I wasn't the guy, and you might think differently seeing me in an interview, that I wasn't the guy that walked around with my Bible or stood up on my, you know, my table and just, you know, yelled scripture at people and called people sinners and all that kind of stuff. Because my goal was to show them every day what I believed in, to show them my faith by the way I walked, by the way I went about my job, by the way I loved my wife, by the way I, I handled my kids, by the way I 
handled the media. That every day to me was like a, a tryout or you know an opportunity for me to show my teammates what I stood for. And you can talk to my teammates, and I, I think every one of my teammates will tell you that I would sit down and have dinner f- with them. I would talk to them about anything and everything. And it surprised them a lot of times because they expected, okay, okay, here's this Christian guy who we're a little leery about hanging out with him or talking to him. And, um, you know, those that are closest to me are like, man, he's just like every one of us. And, um, you know, the difference is that I'm living for a different purpose than a lot of those guys, but it was a daily thing for me that it wasn't, I'm not going to change a guy in a minute by sharing one scripture with them. I'm going to change him over a lifetime by showing them how you're supposed to live and why I'm living the way that I am. And part of this process involved the passing of your parents mm-hmm. due to uh, an, what what would be called an act of God, mm. this this uh, tornado. What, what what happened next? Let's go back. Uh, what happened after uh, you guys got married? Mm-hmm. Then that's when football began to start taking yes. more center stage with these passing day. It, it's a weird story, and you'd probably be able to tell this better, but um, when we were married— um, he adopted my first two children then, right after we were married. And at our honeymoon, you were supposed to have a tryout with the yeah. Bears. As, as the legend begins, I guess, is that, uh, you know, playing arena football and obviously trying and hoping and waiting for an opportunity. Had to get you already to the been NFL. to Europe at this point in time? No, okay. this was before Europe. I, I was playing arena football. Um, and in my third year, uh, I got a call from Al Luganville, who was coaching over in, in Europe. And he asked if I would come play for him and I told him you know I wasn't interested in going to Europe and playing unless he could give me an opportunity to sign with an NFL team so I would go back to a training camp I got a call from the Chicago Bears and they were interested um you know through I don't know if it was through Al Luganville or actually through a coach in the arena league that wanted to get me out of the arena league he called a friend at the Bears and said try this guy out so I got a call from the Bears and you know, they said, we want to bring you in for a tryout. And I'm like, sure, when, how soon? And they said, this week. And I'm, I'm like, cool, I'm going on Friday. Slipped my mind that I was actually getting married on Saturday. Oops. So, yeah. uh, I, had oh to call, so I had to call the Bears back and tell <laughs> them, Is that one of the, 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 the screw-ups that's in the book <laughs> right them. here? This one of them? One well, of them. I didn't that's miss my a, wedding. One call away. I, I didn't miss my wedding. So. The original working title was One Call from Luganville. <laughs> so, you went one call away for the book. So anyways, I... um. Obviously, I had to call him back and say, sorry, in my excitement, I forgot I was getting married. But ironically, I said, but I can do it any other time. I'll do it next week. And Most people go to a honeymoon. Yeah, most people go on a honeymoon. So we had a honeymoon plan. So again, I had to call them back and say, okay, sorry. I don't have anything else on the books from that point forward. As soon as I get back, and they're like, okay, we'll call you uh, at the end of your honeymoon and, and work it out. And so we'll have you in as soon as the honeymoon was over. So I'm like, perfect. So we go on our honeymoon. We have a great time. Jamaica. In Jamaica, All and right. um, the night before we left, I, I woke up the next morning, and my throwing elbow was swollen the size of a grapefruit. It was huge, that, red, and you know, hot. went to the doctor and said, "What could this possibly be?" And you know, didn't speak much English, and, and what we got out of it was that I probably had gotten bitten by you know some kind of you know centipede or spider or something on my throwing elbow. So as I'm going home and I have a tryout set up for two days later with the Bears, as I'm going home, you know, I'm sweating. I have a fever. fever. My, my arm is swollen. Oh my. I, I, mean, I can't move. And so here I go, and I've got to call the Chicago Bears back for the third time and oh tell them gosh. that I just I can't, I can't do it. And um, so basically I never heard from the Bears again. It was, you know, hey, we're trying to give you an opportunity, and you got all these excuses. Never heard from them again. 
Ironically enough, thanks to Al Luganbill, uh, a couple weeks later, uh, the story goes Al Luganbill called 13 different NFL teams. 12 of them said no. The Rams called back uh, you know, just a couple weeks after that and said, we'd love to give them a tryout. Went in for the tryout, and they ended up signing me. And as they say, the rest, the rest is history. Is history. Where, where are the Packers fall into the, this? The Packers, I know Mooch loves to – yeah, or we, you love giving Mooch Yeah, we yeah. love having fun with that. But the, the Packers <laughs> fell in like right after college. You know, I played one year in college, and the Packers gave me an opportunity right out of college. And so I was in their training camp my first year out of school You know, with Brett – with Mark Brunel, with Ty Detmer, with Mooch, um, you know, and so I was with that group for just about five weeks, just a training camp, um, you know, and then then was cut and released, and then it wasn't until three and a half, four years later where I got my, my opportunity gosh. with the Rams. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, Mooch loves telling that story. That he didn't yeah. see Kurt's potential. Well, I mean, hey, I love. <laughs> no, that's that's not the, that's not the story. No, that he he loves, yes, his is. nickname was Chachi. Yeah. You know, because Pop. Of, yeah, because you looked like Scott Bayo yeah. at the time and whatever. But you know, hey, man, everything obviously works out exactly. for a reason. That's right. Um, and uh, at, as as he is growing in popularity, mm-hmm. and you are you're watching the dream unfold mm-hmm. based on another incredible set of circumstances that got him into the league, mm-hmm. uh, got him into the game for the Rams. What, what was your experience like, Brenda, as you were watching him suddenly explode on the national scene in this, the, the nation's most popular game? Well, I think one um, interesting point is I don't like football. And that surprises. I just don't get into sports. Like I would never sit down and turn it on. I just never did. Um, I don't remember my dad ever watching football. Just I'm not a football lover, and that freaks people out. I know, but it's just not my thing. And so when he said he wanted to be in the NFL, I thought, well, as long as you pay the bills, you know, we'll do this as long as we can. And so then when um, Trent Green went down and we got the call, um, another call, that um, he was going to be it, I thought, well, I know nothing what we're doing. I mean, ignorance is bliss sometimes because I had no clue. Then people just, I mean, at that point, we were in a regular neighborhood where neighbors were right, they were dropping food off at our our cookies and stuff at our front door. Um, We were in the phone book. Um, you know, our kids were just doing normal school. I was fighting the school system to get Zach what he needed when all this started happening. And so I really didn't have a clue what, what it was all about other than we kept being told that we have to sit down and do this interview and this interview and this interview. And they wanted, they really liked our love story. Like they were really into that. So they always wanted me to be there for the interviews to help with the story and Zach's part of the story, you know, and, and just the way we met and all that that it just grew and grew and grew. And we just kind of kept looking at each other like, this is it. We've done it. And they can never take this away. You know, we're here. And Kurt made a point at the very beginning that we do this together, that it wasn't where um, I was going to stay back and he was going to, you know, go do the NFL thing and and show up at home when he wanted to. We were in it together. And and I remember just feeling like, all right, um, our life is changing forever, forever. Why would you do that? Well, I, I think the big thing, you know, like we were talking earlier, is that there was a different reason why I felt I was in the NFL. And, and don't get me wrong. I mean, love to make the money. You love to have the success. I wanted to win Super Bowls. I mean, all those things were my goals. But a big part of it was, you know, what we had talked about with my faith is that I wanted to show people something different. And, you know, part of that and a huge part of that was our marriage and our family and, and what we had been through. And so... I just felt like I wanted to make a point very early that 
what we did, we did together. Whether it was our foundation, whether it was football stuff, uh, whether we were going to go through a struggle, a trial, we were going to do it together because that's what helped get me to this point. That's what helped get her through. And I've realized along the way, Rich, that all the success in the world means little if you don't have people to share it with and you don't have people along for the ride. And to me, that was what this was about, was that we were here together. This wasn't just Kurt Warner and then his family's over here. This was our family doing this together. And, and to me, that was, um, you know, that was just something that was important to me from the get go. And I think something that's been, that stood out about what I've done and and what we've done as a family from day one is people recognize us, not just Kurt Warner. And then, okay, you know, what's his story. They recognize us as a family. And to me, that's extremely powerful and extremely important. I'd be remiss if I didn't ask you this question though, Brendan. Yes. How do you go from not being into sports, Mm -hmm. not being, um, I guess, motivated mm-hmm. by sports, that's probably the, or, or impassioned right. by sports, to a few years later calling into radio shows mm-hmm. in <laughs> St. Louis. How, how, does, how, does, how, does because that, how does that happen? I think it's easy explanation. I'm Kurt Warner's fan. I will watch him do anything. I mean, when I'm watching him play football, those moments, is those. I sit there and I think, this is when you see somebody that was created to do this. I mean, I love watching him do it. And I realized that God gave him that talent, and it's beautiful to watch. So when I watch a football game, I watch him. And that means I watch him throw it, but I watch him get hit. I don't watch where the ball goes. I don't watch the great catch by Larry. I, I don't do that part. I just see him get hit, hit, hit. Um, so I become this, even if you it's the Marine Corps background or, or whatever, but I'm a fighter for my family. And, you know, you can say what you want about me, but... When you start going, you know, after my 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 troop, um, something happens, and so basically, you know, I was defending him, and um, I was defending his honor, which I've learned, and you'll read in the book that I learned that there there would be a better way to do it. That you don't act in anger; it's okay to be angry, but you don't act in anger. And so I learned that, and I learned it the hard way. But I, I just share it, um, my side of the story and, and why I did what I did. And how is it for you to hear your wife essentially labeled the Yoko Ono of the NFL at some point? I mean, that, as, as your St. Louis career began winding down, having a lot of people looking at Brenda yeah. here saying, this is the reason why you got to get out of town. Well, um, you know, part of it, it, it falls back to, you know, being in that limelight and being in the public eye that you realize that. People make statements about you all the time based on nothing more than a single fact that they have or that they think they have. And I learned that very early on when I was playing. I mean, I, I would hear about what I did wrong every game and, and you know how bad I was. And, and, and so very early it became uh, noticeable to me that, hey, you can't hang on what people are saying because they have no clue of the truth. And it was the same with this situation is that you know they had a, a faction of the truth. And, you know, wanted to, to twist it into what they wanted to twist it in. But um, I knew why she did what she did. I understood the facts behind it. And I had no problem with that. You know, I had no problem talking about it. I had no problem with her uh, calling in and defending me. You know, like she said, I think there's sometimes other ways to handle it. Mm-hmm. You know, ways that, um, you know, that, that could have been utilized better. But, uh, but by no means do I say, hey, you know, if people wanted to find out the facts and the truth and what happened. I think everybody would have seen it and said, Hey, that's cool. I understand. I understand why she did what she did. And, um, 
you know, and so that's how I look at it is that people are going to make their own judgments and they're going to say the things that they say. Uh, and like she said, when it's about somebody else and somebody close to you, it bothers you. You know, bothers her when people would say that I was terrible on the football field. Or my kids would come home and say, Dad, do you really suck? You know, my kids told me at school that you suck. Um, you know, so those things bother you. Uh, and I'm bothered that she got labeled a particular way because people don't know who she is. But as far as, you know, all those reports and what people had to say, I really don't worry about that because it's coming from people that don't really know her and don't really know that situation and how it played out. And then you wind up in New York. Yeah. <laughs> how many kids do you have at this point we in time? We five, had five kids at that time. Five. Yes. Okay. In New York City. Yes. What was that like for you, Brenda, to 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 switch places? Mm-hmm. I mean, a comfort zone that right. clearly you had had in St. Louis. Now you're in the mon- this monstrously large city. Where I, By the way, it's my, my hometown. I love it. Okay. Where you can... You can yeah. you can find what you want, or <laughs> you can be found. Yes. True. So, what was it like for you? Well, at that point, um, I was a little scarred, and when we moved to, um, we got a house in New Jersey, and so with five kids starting all new schools, I think we had one was a baby. Um, you know, trying to get into the school system. Anytime you have a child with special needs, that's a full time job. Sure. Just starting over. So that was kind of what I was spending my time doing. And I happened to um, have two miscarriages in that nine months Mm. while he was playing um, with the Giants. So to be honest, people say, oh, she got quiet. Honestly, I was living life and things were happening behind the scenes um, when, you know, I thought this was his next chance, his next, it would make sense to me that God put us there for him to be the biggest thing again. And that's not what happened. But you know, we really drew close to each other during that time because, like I said, the miscarriages, raising five kids, and then what was happening on the field, you know, we just knew who we were and we'd been through some rough times. So it just really strengthened us. Um, and then I remember an away game that I went to um, when he was a giant and it was in Arizona. And I called him and I said, I came, I went a couple days earlier and I said, this place is so cool. The sun is amazing. People have houses on mountains. You need to, to move here. And he said, they have a quarterback. I don't know who their quarterback was. Who was and the quarterback? He, it was Josh McCown, actually. And he was okay. represented by my agent. I knew Josh agent, very well. Yeah. And ironically enough, the game she's talking about was the very last game that I started for the New York Giants. It was against Arizona in Arizona. And we lived there a year later. Unbelievable. Yeah. And I'm like, we've got to you live You cannot here. make this <laughs> up. I know. Stop making this I know. stuff I, up. I even said, they put houses on mountains. We could have our own Warner's Mountain, like Walton's Mountain. And, you know, he doesn't even know that show because he's so young. But I, I, just re- <laughs> I just remember thinking, we've got to live here. Right. Yeah. And a year later, we You lived. were. Yeah. And then at that place, you did become the biggest thing again. I mean, again, don't worry. I can say these things for you. Uh, talk about. Uh, a renaissance. It's just remarkable what happened. What was that like? I'll turn to you, Brenda. Just walk walk everybody through as we finish up this tale to the current day, what it was like. Well, I, like I said, was a little scarred, so I didn't trust any head coaches anymore. When, you, when they said something, I didn't believe them. Mm-hmm. And um, so when we got to Arizona, I thought, I don't believe you. I don't think he's your guy. Um, and it was coach Denny Green, I think mm-hmm. at that point. And then stuff happened that all of a sudden Kurt wasn't the guy. And I remember thinking, this just isn't going the way that I thought it would. But, you know, life was going on. We got pregnant with twins, um, which was weird in itself because that's we don't have any twins anywhere in the family. And I was 38. So life was going on. Um, 
And then Coach Wisenhunt shows up, and I remember he looked me in the eye, and he said, you know, I'll give, it, I'll give the starting job to the one that deserves it. And I thought, are you sure? Because I've heard that before. And He said this to you. He said it to me. Because I, we were having some conversation. Maybe you remember more. But he looked me right in the eye and said that. And a head coach just, I just don't believe him. Um, because I think it's a business. And I think they're going to have pressure and all that. I've kind of learned that part of football, not the pretty part. Um, and he looked me in the eye and said that. And then w- within weeks, Kurt was the starting quarterback and took him where he took him. So I admire that, that he kind of um, gave me that back where somebody can be truthful and look you in the eye and, and Kurt earned it back. And he, that was a lot on him from what I understand for him to stand by his word um, and maybe have to fight a lot of people about Kurt being the starter. Um, But he stood, he stood his ground and look where Kurt no question, because yeah. uh, at the time, I mean, Leinert, Matt Leinert was was right. a, a high draft pick, and and you come in, you were sort of like the closer for baseball. Like yeah. <laughs> when, whenever whenever the Cardinals got inside the twenties, exactly, we, he'd, you know, he'd call for the bullpen, he'd call for the righty. Yeah, it was know, one of those like, weird situations that you odd. might see in college where right. they rotate quarterbacks, and um, you know, I think it was one of those situations where the organization had drafted Matt, and, and they wanted to go that direction, but they understood that. I was more ready and more seasoned at that time and and could help them out. And so I think they kind of developed this rotation as a way that, okay, if we if we need a closer, if we need somebody to help us out, we feel comfortable putting Kurt in there and, and doing that. But, you know, I remember what she said because I, I was coming to Arizona the same way, that I felt like I was outperforming everybody there, outperforming Matt and, and everybody and, uh, you know, and Coach – that's what he preached from day one is that the best players will play. We have competition at every position. And, you know, I was very vocal about that with the media when they would talk to me. I'm like, you know, I'm not sure I believe it, Uh, you know, just because I've been places where they say one thing and it doesn't always, you know, play out that way. Uh, I wanted to, and we would sit down, I'd sat down in his office with him. I remember the conversation and said, coach, I want to believe you. (laughs) I want to believe that I can trust you, but I just, I can't right now and I'm going to keep doing what I can do and you have to do what you can do and we'll see how this plays out. And and so I remember when he called me in and said, you know, you're going to be our starting quarterback uh, that following year. And, you know, and like you said, it was one of those situations where I truly believe I could have been in 32 different situations and 31 of them would have gone the other direction. I don't believe there was too many people that would have made that commitment and stood behind it like, uh, like Coach Wisenhunt did, and, and that was that was the difference because you know, I talked to Todd Haley, I talked to Coach Wiz, and I asked him, you know, when you guys came here to Arizona, what did you think? Because you know the perception in the NFL is reality, and you know you can gain a perception when people don't even know you, and that's exactly what happened. Was you get cut from St. Louis and released from St. Louis after going to two Super Bowls, you play nine games and you don't really play the way you used to play in New York. And everybody just said, well, he, he's done. Maybe he can be a solid backup. And that's exactly what they thought coming in was that, okay, this guy's washed up. You know, we hear good things about him. He'd probably be a good leader, so we'll keep him around. And, you know, it wasn't until they actually saw me on the field where they were able to say, wow, yeah. this guy can play. You know, I don't know what everybody else was saying or thinking, but this guy can play. But, you know, that's how it works sometimes in the NFL is that a de- perception is developed for whatever reason around the league. And, I was fortunate, and I give thanks to to Denny Green first because he was the one that gave me the opportunity in Arizona. 
And then I give thanks to Coach Wiz because he was the guy that, you know, that did, that went out on a limb and said, hey, this guy's the best guy. And I, I understand he's 36, and I understand nobody thinks he can play, and I understand we have a number one draft pick, but this guy can play, and, and I'm going to stand behind that. And, and like I said, I don't think anybody else would have allowed me to write the end to my story the way that he did. Yeah, it's not just playing, it's leading to. And again, you won't say this sort of stuff, so I'll say it. It's leading to. It's it's being in practice and showing the way to do it and 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 sure. and, and holding people's feet to fire and sure. making sure no that everybody does things the right way and it's a culture changing experience for the Cardinals. I mean, you know, you're 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 gone from the Cardinals now, but uh that's just physically. I mean, the I could keep talking all night, like oh, about I'm this sort of thing. It's the truth. Okay, so follow him anywhere. I don't mean to embarrass, at any rate. Um, so I'd love to get your thoughts as we finish up the the football part of the story, and then we'll we'll finish up the book. Uh, the retirement yes. moment. Yes. What was what was it like? What what were your what was your thinking? As I'm sure the phone was still ringing to say, "Come on back." Right. Play. Well, again, not caring about football and seeing his hits. Sure. Any day that he would have said, I'll retire, um, I would have been happy, you know, 10 years ago. Well, that hit in the New Orleans playoff game. Good Lord. I remember that moment specifically because I was in like the second row and I could see his body lay there and everybody, I mean, the entire stadium, whether whoever you were a fan of, they stopped breathing. I mean, you could feel it. You could feel like he's not moving. And I remember thinking, I'm done. I'm just done. You know, when you raise a child with a brain injury um, and know what kind of life that gives him and how much it takes from him, I was done. And I thought, this isn't worth it anymore. But I didn't want to talk Kurt into retiring until he was ready because that would be miserable. I don't want to be married to a man that, you know, thinks I could have, I should have. So I had to wait for him. And, you know... When he said he was ready, I thought, let's do this. Let's get out of this. Let's <laughs> let's go have a happy life. Um, you know, I was ready. I was really ready. But it's so nice now to just know that um, he's there. He's there for the kids to be at their Pop Warner games. He's there in the morning to make breakfast and to get them off the bus. And, and he's an amazing dad. So I'm just grateful that he was able to walk away when he was ready and healthy and that we have a whole new beginning. We really do. And we now, do. now, now we take care of you yes. on Sundays. And, and I like you don't this, get hurt. I like this hit Sunday you. much better. There's than no, there's Sundays. no wins. There's no losses. There's no expectation. There's really? no pain. Oh no, there's expectation. <laughs> well, not we, not, you know, not the I mean, same kind of expectation. Of course not. I got all these other good guys in front of me that uh, okay. they make you look they, good. They, they live right. up to it. just like he told me that he added. He was added to the crew last year, and oh, yeah. they were. Emmy nominated yes. last year when yeah. he was at it. Not so does close. he mention so see, it every once in a while? Yeah. So I mean, so, <laughs> on occasion, so see, I got needs, all it, these it needs Emmy nominated guys right. around me. It was kind of like the greatest show on turf is that, yeah, they looked at me and thought I looked good, but it was only right. because the other guys Surrounded. around me were taking care of me. Right. Uh, and, and last question about the book here, Brenda. I mean, just hearing this story, remarkable, um, obviously. What do you say to women who would, who were in your position? who don't have somebody like mm-hmm. Kurt Warner who walks into line dancing one night right. and and um, assimilates himself into your life in the way that you could only dream of. What do you say to women who are, who are searching for somebody, searching for Kurt or searching for something in their lives that would stabilize things? Right. What do you say? 
The number one thing, your circumstances don't determine who you are. And whether I was in line as a United States Marine or in line for food stamps, I knew who I was. And my character determined, you know, what was going to happen, even though it didn't look good. I mean, sometimes you're in tough times. But I knew who I was, and I knew I was called for a reason. I knew I was created for a purpose. When I finally realized that I didn't need a man, then I... I actually, when Kurt came into my life, I wanted a man. And that was kind of the turning point of, um, I always, I I hate to say it because I'm such a strong woman, but I always thought a man would complete me. And I got to the point in my life by going through those hard times that I felt complete. Like I, I'm my own person and you, you won't complete me. We'll just do this together. And so I encourage them just to, you know, do what you have to do. Whether it is get in line for food stamps, whether it is, you know, taking another class, going to school after I'd already, you know, become a United States Marine, now I'm becoming a nurse, you know, doing what you have to do. Um, And people ask us how we raise seven kids. You just do what you have to do with that, too. You just do the. You wake up and you do the best you can. Don't overanalyze it. Don't give yourself all the guilt and all the what if. Um, just wake up and do the best you can. And I believe that by reading my book that they'll see that sometimes, you know, life isn't fair, but it's also not fair the other way that I got this incredible man and, you know, I want him in my life and he doesn't complete me. We work this thing together. And uh, I'm trying to do the math in my head throughout this conversation. The youngest that you had when you met is now the girl going to NYU? Yes. Exactly. Yes. Wow. Yeah, she's a junior at NYU. Oh, 19. my gosh. 19 yeah. years old. NYU. We met when she was she was nine months old. Nine months old. And then Zach, who's our oldest, is 22 now. We met when he was she's three and a half. She's in college. So, yeah, I know. Exactly. Wow. I know. Yeah. That's, that was the reason really why I had to retire. As soon as I had a child go off to college. I, <laughs> That's I could, a rule? Yeah, you can't play in the NFL anymore <laughs> when you've got... You well, got kids in college. Favre was a grandfather well, I know. last year. He, he's an exception to that rule, but okay. I know for me it was time to get out. <laughs> well, you mentioned earlier in some um, in some one of your stories that uh, the phrase "you can't take this away from you" that's what this mm-hmm. book is. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is on a shelf. It'll yes. be in the Library of Congress. Oh. It's going to be an iPad. It's going to be. I mean, it's it's every book yep. is 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 put in uh is put in its place and congratulations on, on getting you. this out and getting it in black and white and good luck selling it now. Thank that's you. the tough that's it the toughest tough. part about yeah. it. You know. You know. That you is know. the toughest part about it. One call away a memoir answering life's challenges with unshakable faith by Brenda Warner. Thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank I appreciate you so much. It. Pleasure meeting you. And and anytime are, are you going to be a stranger here at NFL Network? You're going to be in Los Angeles. I heard she doesn't like football. No, yeah, no, but it's okay. Around here. No, but but uh, as you know, here, Kurt, opinions are valued in oh, this business. And I have Very opinions. Valued. This <laughs> might be a good match, right? don't you think? Uh, they have to be football opinions, oh. though. I don't know if we. I, I don't you know. You can how much, have them. Can we use other opinions on other sure, stuff? I don't know. Maybe? Well, the podcast, we, we maybe. Can try. We okay. can do that. We can do that. <laughs> Thanks for coming on. Thank you. That's Brenda and Kurt Warner here on the Rich Eisen podcast. Stay listening. 